Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. What's it like to host a baseball podcast every day for almost four straight years? We'll talk about that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 40 of The Bridge. (laughs) Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night. Though the show is technically pre-recorded, for those listening in live, you can interact with the show by hitting up the toll-free call in line at 888-444-0570. That's 888-444-0570. You can find the show every Wednesday night by visiting sportsradioamerica.com and finding the bridge under the shows tab. You can also listen on your phones by using the TuneIn app. Now, if you're not listening live and you've missed the live show on Wednesday nights, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode on iTunes or on my website at londonbridge.com on Friday nights. You can find the show on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast or by searching for John Lund under Artists. You can also visit LondonBridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. And you can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. The Bridge can also be found on several different apps, including SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. You can find all previous shows of The Bridge there, so if you've got some catching up to do with the show, I suggest you get started with that. Just some brief housekeeping items before we get into the excitement. You can call in or text the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you just might be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. You can visit LondonBridge.com slash email to subscribe to the Bridge Sports Podcast newsletter, which will provide weekly updates and behind-the-scenes information about the next show and who the featured guest might be. If you want to go the email route, you can shoot an email to media at LondonBridge.com and put your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes there as well. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the horn. One of the most famous baseball broadcasters to ever grace the airwaves figuratively turned his microphone off from calling Dodgers home games after doing so for more than 60 years as the voice of the Dodgers franchise. In a brief tribute to Vince Scully, here's this week's sports news read like real news. 
Hi, everybody, and a very pleasant good evening to you wherever you may be. Legendary broadcaster Vin Scully has been the radio voice of the Dodgers for the last 67 years. He started with the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1950 and was there when the franchise won its only World Series in 1955. In what he's referenced as his favorite broadcasting call, he was perhaps at his most calm, simply saying, Ladies and gentlemen, the Brooklyn Dodgers are the champions of the world. He has a laundry list of famous calls that have followed famous moments, including Don Larson's perfect game in the World Series, Hank Aaron's 715th home run, the Bill Buckner through the legs play, and Kurt Gibson's home run in the 1988 World Series, when in a year that was so improbable, the impossible happened. As the days of transistor radios faded away and news was expected to come faster and faster, Vin Scully allowed listeners a place to retreat from the hustle and bustle of the world to enjoy the game of baseball, as told by him. Play on the field seemed to slow down during one of his stories, only to pick back up again once he had concluded. He was thorough and accurate throughout his entire career, only citing just one moment that he wished he had back. Early in his career, back in his third year in 1952, the Dodgers were playing Cincinnati, which had an outfielder named Lloyd Merriman. Merriman hit a ball foul, and Vin meant to say, hot, shot, hit, foul. However, it never came out that way. So as we remember Vin Scully, and in keeping with the sports news read like real news tradition of mocking the delivery of sports anchors, here's one of the greatest broadcasters of all time, Reading a grocery list. We've got a dozen eggs, a quart of milk, a loaf of bread, a can of frozen orange juice, six small white onions, a green pepper, garlic powder, a package of American cheese, pickles, kosher that is, bananas, cornflakes, maple syrup, toothpaste, paper towels, toilet paper, six bars of soap, hot dogs, quarter pound of chopped meat, steak, lamb chops, package of spaghetti, three apples, bologna, cottage cheese, a pound of butter, two ears of corn, beer, ketchup, peanut butter, soy sauce, and a half a pound of coffee. I'm John Lund for Sports News Red Like Real News. Let's take a quick break to keep our sponsors happy. When we come back, we've got another quarterback as the star of Wait, Who? And we'll get into the interview with this week's guest. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. The Los Angeles Rams have provided us with two weeks worth of material for the show since they went scoreless in their first game back to Los Angeles, then failed to score a touchdown in their second game since returning back after leaving in 1994. Unfortunately, the Rams found the end zone in their last game and actually won again, so there'll be no new drawbridge for this week's show. Fortunately, Thursday night football is now two for three when it comes to giving us show material. A New England Patriots quarterback is our honoree for this week's wait. Who? Though Tom Brady was suspended for the first four games of the season, 
The New England Patriots appeared to be set at the quarterback position by finding lightning in a bottle with Jimmy Garoppolo under center. The young heartthrob led the Patriots to wins over the Cardinals and the Dolphins, but a shoulder injury suffered in Game 2, left him on the sidelines for Week 3. No worries. As the Patriot way says. Next man up. Enter. Jacoby Brissett. Wait. Who? Did you say brisket? I love brisket. Does anyone know of any good barbecue joints around here? Oh, that's not how you say his name? My bad. Anyway, Jacoby Brissett started his collegiate football career at the University of Florida, but transferred to NC State after being unable to win a starting role in two seasons. Jacoby took over as starting quarterback for the Wolfpack in 2014, passing for 2,606 yards with 23 touchdowns and 5 interceptions. As a senior, he threw for 2,662 yards and 20 touchdowns. NC State went 7-6 in 2015 and lost to Mississippi State and current Dallas Cowboys starting QB. Dak Prescott, 51-28. Ouch. However, Brissett was selected by the Patriots in the third round of the 2016 NFL Draft. He was the only player selected in the draft who declined to hire an agent. Jacoby put the, next man up, mentality to the test when he subbed in for Jimmy G in Week 2, with the Pats already up 21 to nothing. Brissett made his first NFL start the following week against the Houston Texans, completing 11 of 19 passes for 103 yards while running for 48 more, including a nifty 27-yard touchdown run for the game's first score. The Pats won, 27 to nothing. Just do your damn job. No one knows if we'll see Jacoby start, or play in, another game for the Patriots. A thumb injury leaves his status for Week 4 unknown, and Touchdown Tom will be back for Week 5. However, who can be the next man up to do his job if he needs to? Jacoby Brissett, that's who. Thank you, Sharon, for another masterful read. Unfortunately, we have to switch gears to a more somber tone for what we'll talk about next. I was fortunate enough to get a guest for this week who could both speak on what Vince Scully meant to the game of baseball and could also speak on what the loss of Jose Fernandez of the Miami Marlins means for the game of baseball and for so much more aside from just that. Fernandez was killed in a boating accident early Sunday morning in Miami and died at the age of 24. It was hard news to swallow at the time and it just got harder as the day went on and as the stories started to come out and the tributes started to be written. I don't have enough time to go over the Jose Fernandez stats that he's been able to put together in his very brief career with the Miami Marlins since joining them at the age of 20. He was on his way to a Hall of Fame career. He was doing things that we had never seen done before on a pitching mound, but was doing things for the game of baseball and for those around him that weren't being done either. 
He played the game with joy. He played the game incredibly competitively while also having fun doing so. And the impact that he had on those around him was certainly vast. And his loss is going to hurt for a very, very long time. And there will continue to be tributes and stories and videos and probably awards and statues and all sorts of different things done about Jose Fernandez so we can remember him in years to come. We've seen this happen in sports before. There have been athletes that have passed away, unfortunately, while playing the game of baseball. Going back, there was Roberto Clemente and Thurman Munson that were unfortunately killed in plane crashes. More recently, there was the young pitchers, Nick Aiden Hart and Oscar Tavares with the Angels and Cardinals, respectively, who died in car crashes. What sets this apart a little bit is that Munson and Clemente were already Hall of Fame players when they unfortunately were killed. Unfortunately for Aiden Hart and Tavares, we really didn't know what they would be capable of because they were taken away too early into their baseball career. But with Jose Fernandez, we got a pretty good taste of what we could expect to see from him in the years to come. It's a tremendous loss for his family. It's a tremendous loss for his teammates. It's a tremendous loss for the Miami Marlins and it's a tremendous loss for the game of baseball. So I just wanted to take a minute to reflect on that before we talk a little bit more about that in the interview with this week's guest. I was lucky enough to get a chance to speak with Sully. He is the host of the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast, which is a daily baseball podcast that he's been doing since October 24th, 2012. Has yet to miss a day. The four-year anniversary is on its way. So to say he knows a thing or two about baseball is probably an understatement. We'll talk about what he's up to aside from doing that podcast. We'll get into how he's able to do a daily baseball podcast and some of the different things he's done with the show throughout the three-plus years of it. Then we'll take a quick break after that and talk about the death of Jose Fernandez, the retirement of Vin Scully, and some other current things going around in the baseball world. So without further ado, let's get into that interview. I'm here with Paul Francis Sullivan, but you can call him Sully. He is the host of the Sully Baseball Daily, a daily baseball podcast that you can hear 365 days a year or 366 if it's a leap year and he's kind enough to join the show. Sully, how are you? I'm great. I'm fantastic. I guess this is a... The best time of the year to talk baseball, and uh, I'm really talking baseball with you, buddy. That's right. As we speak, the Boston Red Sox are taking on the New York Yankees. Unfortunately, that series has taken a little bit of a hit as far as the drama is concerned. Hopefully, that will come in the next couple of years. But for now, there's a lot of empty seats, and we'll be saying farewell, unfortunately, to David Ortiz, which we'll get into a little bit later in the show. Before I get into your daily podcast, some of the most recent things to happen in baseball as well, I wanted to start with some of the different things that you've been up to besides that. I know you've bounced around doing a lot of different things as far as production work or baseball writing, even being a stand-up comedian. Could you give a little summary of how a native New Englander like yourself ended up doing what you do now in California? I was a television producer. I produced on a bunch of TV shows. Uh, you know, Daily Show with John Stewart, Axemen for History Channel, Bonnie Hunt, a bunch of shows like that. And I was a filmmaker. I, I directed a feature film that 
I played in a couple of theaters back in 2007 called I'll Believe You, and I've always been a writer and a performer. And then around, I guess, I, I started blogging about baseball uh, in the mid-2000s, and I decided in 2012 that I wanted to start doing baseball parks. I had done, I appeared on TV as well as uh, an HBO documentary called Curse of the Bambino and Reverse the Curse of the Bambino featured me. And I was in a documentary about Bill Lee called Spaceman. And I'm actually, I have a small part in the recent narrative film about uh, Bill Lee called Spaceman. Uh, I play, I have a, a, a pretty funny scene in that um, and, uh, and I actually have a couple of lines, which is good. But, uh, and I've contributed to several magazines and several television shows uh, regarding baseball. But uh, in 2012, I decided I was going to do a podcast. And I figured the only way a baseball podcast can really work is if you do it every day. And by every day, I mean free produce 365 original podcasts a year. Uh, and... For whatever reason, that just seemed like, yeah, that makes sense. And I sat down on October 24th, 2012. I did my first one. And I'm right now uh, on, uh, on the 24th of October. It will be my fourth anniversary. And it is uh, nearly 1,500 straight podcasts. It's straight days with a new podcast every single day. And I cover every team. I'm a Boston Red Sox fan. Uh, I am. I live in California now, and I follow. I follow every team, and I try to cover every team. Granted, some more than others. I, there are not as many Rockies podcasts this year. You know, not as many Brewers podcasts as you would think. But I. But I do make sure I do at least one podcast about every single team every year, and I just love doing it. And and I've gotten a little bit of attention for it, and have a little bit of a following, and I'm going to keep doing it. And one of the other things I've done, and this came out of, again, a little bit of my mentality of how I handle things, is a few years ago, uh, Tony Gwynn was, when he passed away, and I was really angry that the All-Star game made no mention of it. They just they, they completely snubbed him. Right. And their, and their response to it was even worse. So they're like, well, you know, if we pay tribute to Tony Gwynn, we have to pay tribute to everybody to decide not to, which is utter nonsense, complete and utter nonsense. There wasn't a rash of 15-time All-Stars and Hall of Famers who had died recently. Um, so, I mean, it was, again, it was Fox just being, A, disrespectful and not owning up to it. And so instead of just complaining, I made it in memoriam video, like they have at the Academy Awards. Uh, and, you know, finishing with, starting with Ralph Kiner and finishing with Tony Gwynn, and that got me a little bit of attention. So I did one the next year, and I did one the next year. So every All-Star game, I released a new In Memoriam video. That's something that's kind of fun that I've enjoyed doing. And, yeah, I just, I, I love producing stuff about baseball because it makes me happy. And people can find your latest In Memoriam on your Twitter at Sully Baseball as well. I know you have that pinned to your page. I wanted to yeah. have you discuss what some of the day-to-day -day production is like for your podcast. Are you recording shows the day that they are released? Do you pre-record a lot of them? How do you go about making your shows day-to-day? -day? Uh, it depends. It really depends. 
I, I try to have them be day of because one of the reasons why I do it day to day is that a, a lot of times, like I had done a weekly podcast before this one and the earlier incarnation of this podcast existed, uh, and it was weekly. And I was never very happy with it because a lot of times something that happened on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday I wanted to talk about. But by Monday, it was obsolete. Right. That was, that was already gone. So uh, I, by doing it every day, you can focus on if something big happened or something important happened that you want to give your thoughts to, uh, I can do that. And sometimes I think of something funny or something. I mean, the, the podcast is somewhat humorous. I mean, it's not... It's it's not me. I'm I'm not a big numbers cruncher, and I'm also but I'm also not like hey I'm hey, the Red Sox did this and that and focusing just on my team. So I I try to have it be my point of view and have it be a fresh point of view or at least uh, uh, coming from a different angle. And if an event happened on a Thursday, I want to have a podcast on it by that Friday because by Monday they'll be forgotten. Right. That being said. There are times I do make evergreen podcasts, you know, because I, I do have a full-time job. I, I am a husband and a father of two, so it's not like I have all the time in the world. Uh, but they're only 20 minutes long, too. I mean, these aren't like, this isn't Mark Barron. I'm not doing an hour-and-a-half-long podcast right. every single day. I would have a heart attack if I did that. So by 20 minutes, it's usually enough time to cover one topic or two topics in depth. Uh, but there are times I do record Evergreen, um, and or I'll record an interview, and those are usually that's usually like two episodes right there. But I will record them wherever I go. Like I had a, a procedure about a year ago where I was in the hospital for a kidney stone situation I had, and I did it from my hospital bed while on painkillers. I did a podcast from there. I did one. I did. I was in London for my job, so I did a whole bunch of podcasts from London including talking to Earl Dix, who's the head of the British Baseball Federation, which is the baseball league there in Great Britain. Day-to-day is, you know, I try to get them. I, I usually record them uh, the night before, like around 10, 11 o'clock at night before. And I usually will go over the topics of the day or what happened or something just struck me as funny. and Or something sometimes it's something that struck me as sad is what happened this weekend. And then I try to get them up that morning. You know, it's 20 minutes, so if you're doing an errand or something like that, it's a, it's a manageable length. Right. And I think one of the biggest things on people's minds is probably they know baseball really starts picking up steam late February, early March. You can talk about some previews and get into some spring training storylines. And then the season runs on into October and and into November, and you can talk about the World Series and some of the final thoughts there. But once things go cold in about mid-November, how are you able to continue producing content when there's no actual baseball being played in those months? Well, that's when you need it the most. I mean, that's, and, and that's when I think the podcast for me is most fun. I mean, during the regular season, all right, this game happened or this happened, and you try to keep up with that. But in the off season, I can get, I can get really loopy. I can, get, I can really dig deep into some of the topics. I can, I can talk about my thoughts about baseball. My, I can go into some more humorous rants. I bring in some funny guests. I think that that's when my podcast is most crucial because right now, 
I mean, look, I, I enjoy doing the podcast now, but if you want to listen, there's you, there are hundreds of baseball podcasts and there's lots of baseball coverage because the postseason's about to start. And as you said, when spring training begins, there's a lot of coverage about it. Right. I'm thinking about when someone in Christmas time or shoveling their driveway in January or they're sick to death of how football just inundates every sports conversation. And you just want to have, you just want to talk baseball. You want to, it's on your mind, you miss it. And that's when my podcast is most valuable. I mean, it, it, it's most important. It's hopefully someone shovel, and I met some people today. They listen to me shovel in a driveway in February, and they just, they miss baseball. So they, they know I have a new show on. You know, they know that, that your pal Sully is going to be talking about something. And so that's one, in some ways, I think those are some of my best episodes. Because I want to talk baseball all year. Right. So I figured I'd share it with everybody. And so I think that once everyone's gone and they've packed up and they said, all right, we'll see you in spring. If you need a fix, I'm there. Do you have a favorite show or a favorite interview or some different episodes that might stick out to you as ones that you can look back on and have said you really enjoy doing? Oh, that's a great question. I hadn't really thought of that. Um, I, I've done some things where I've, like I interviewed Joe Montana, which was a lot of fun. He's a huge baseball fan. I've had some uh, players on, like Sean Doolittle of the A's and Rudy May, former Yankee, and uh, Ellis Valentine, former Expo great, and Don Stanhouse. There are several, I mean, there's a bunch of players who I've had on, and they've always been a lot of fun. And I've had well, I've had some stand-up comedians, because uh, my years in stand-up, I brought on some really funny comics on to the show, and, and, and you know, Aaron Foley, and Trishur, and Liam McEnany, and, and, and Poppy Kramer, and, and Clayton um, Fletcher, and a bunch of people who are great, um, really funny guests. I've had my wife, some of my favorite episodes have been when I've had my wife on, and my wife is not a baseball fan, and so, and she's finds baseball to be somewhat dull. And so our baseball conversations are actually very funny because we get kind of lost in the minutiae. She'll ask questions like, why can't the catcher just sit on a stool? I don't understand why he's crouching like that. <laughs> and then, you know, I'll bring up something like uh, talking about the Chicago White Sox clubhouse. And then she'll make fun of the fact that I'm calling it a clubhouse and bringing up like the little rascals and everything. I've had a lot of fun doing that. And with my wife there, I've had, you know, my family, my brother was a television writer. We did a, we did a series of them. Um, I had one of the most fun times I had was I, I did kind of an on location one where I went to the spot where the Giants used to play which is now a shopping mall where it was Field Stadium, which was the home of the San Francisco Seals and the San Francisco Giants for the first few years. And I was trying to figure, and I was interviewing people who were big Giant fans, some of them wearing Giant uniforms and everything, who had no idea that the parking lot they were standing on was where Willie Mays played and earlier Joe DiMaggio when he was the San Francisco Seal. So I had a lot of fun doing that one. And my father, who's a rabid San Francisco Giants fan, and my cousin Julie and I uh, did one where we recorded us reacting to the final inning of the 2014 World Series, which was, that was, that was, you know, I've done 1,400 of them, and, you know, Jimmy Pardo, the great comic, was a lot of fun when he was on. You know, I've been, 
I can't say I love them all equally because there are a few clunkers in there, but I, 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 I try to have a lot of fun and try to make sure I, it would be a podcast that I would listen to. And you said you've been doing this yeah. now coming up on four years on October 24th. Do you have any idea yeah. of where you'd like to see this show go in the future? Is this something that you're looking forward to continue, something that you'd like to see grow, maybe get even more former greats or current professional baseball players to come on the show? Have you had any thoughts on where you might see yourself doing this show in the next couple of years down the road? Uh, next couple of years, I intend to not miss a day. Um, where, where do I think it's going to go? You know what? My, my son asked me the other day, how long are you going to do this? I said, I don't know. But I'll do it till it stops being fun. Right. Um, I, I would love it if it were my job. You know, I'd love it if it's like, what do you do for a living? Well, every day I do a baseball podcast. Right. Um, I mean, well, I'd love to have some other names on. Like, you know, I have a little wish list of people who I would love to have on the show. Uh, I think probably the 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 biggest wish list name on there, like you know, the you know, pie in the sky wish list, is uh, probably Robert Redford. I mean, that would be for me. You know, to have you know the star of the natural. Uh, that would probably be my dream booked guest. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just I want I just love doing it, and I get real love and joy and satisfaction in doing it. So the uh, I'm going to keep doing it till it's no longer fun. Let's take a quick pause of this to make sure our sponsors stay happy. When we come back, we'll get into part two of our interview with Sully and talk about the death of Jose Fernandez, what Vin Scully brought to the game of baseball in the broadcasting booth, and some of the different things going on in the current baseball world as well. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. So unfortunately, on a more somber note, to talk about some of the more recent things that happen in the baseball world, on Sunday you released yeah. a podcast dealing with the unfortunate passing of Jose Fernandez at the age of 24, along with the retirement of Vin Scully from the broadcast booth after 60-plus years as the voice for the Dodgers. Yeah. Jose Fernandez, an all-star pitcher for the Miami Marlins, really the face of the franchise when you yeah. heard the news, what were your initial emotions when that broke on Sunday? I could. I, it was. It was just too surreal to digest. You know, he was. It's funny. I had posted a picture on Twitter just a couple of days before of um, Barry Bonds uh, hugging Fernandez uh, after a game, and because uh, I just. Uh, I, I'm a Bonds. I'm a Barry Bonds fan. I'm a huge Jose Fernandez fan, and I just like the image of that. I mean, they were both so happy, and I had no idea that it was going to be the final out of his career. To me, Jose Fernandez represented everything positive about baseball today. That he was he was young. He was fun. I mean, he, he was. A little brash, but he he could talk the talk and walk the walk. You know, it's a, and that a lot of people maybe had, were turned off a little by his cockiness. But I, I found it to be fun. I find it, you know, I love that the pitcher has a certain amount of flair. My favorite player of all time is Pedro Martinez, and there's a little bit of Pedro Martinez and Jose Fernandez, and that sense of he will dominate and he'll dominate in a way where you just can't take your eyes off of it and then be laughing and having tons of fun off the field. And, and 
and not that I'm saying he was the next Pedro Martinez, but I'm saying that he was, in a way, kind of the way that when Mark Sidrich or Fernando Valenzuela, when they just broke onto the scene, it was just, you had to watch them. It just became so much fun. And and I said on the show that I thought there was something kind of appropriate that he played in Miami uh, because he had that sort of, I mean, not just because he was, you know, that he was born in Cuba and everything, but because the Marlins had, you know, the colorful uniforms and the, the bizarrely color, colored uh, stadium with the weird sculpture and the fish behind all the plate, that he fit. He His personality fit. He would not, if he had been wearing a Yankees or a Red Sox or a Cubs or a Tigers, you know, like a more traditional uniform, um, and this is coming from a Red Sox fan, there would have been something that, that just wouldn't have fit because he's so, so appropriate that he was in Miami and had that sort of colorful personality that, that came through so beautifully. He was just beginning to become the star that I think that people would have gravitated towards. The sad thing is, is that it was a, a, a big event for people like you and me who are rabid baseball fans. Uh, I bet most people who are casual sports fans didn't know who he was. Right. I was and, hoping you could speak on that a little bit on what he was like as a pitcher. As you mentioned, he was just sort of coming into his own. We missed the whole season because he had to undergo Tommy John surgery. But this season in particular, right, he had one of the best years of pitchers in general, not just for him, based on his strikeout ratio, his ERA, his home record in his entire career is off the charts. How would you describe him just as a pitcher from what we've been able to see in these short years? And also in terms of fielding independent pitching, FIP, he had the best in the National League. Um, I do a thing on my podcast called Who Owns Baseball? And every day I award the basically the player of the game, pitcher and hitter in the American League and National League. And right. I also give a I give a full wop. If you got if you are on a winning team and you, you have the best performance, you get a who owns baseball wop. And if you're on a losing team, you get half a wop. And I basically keep track of that for the entire season. Jose Fernandez led the league in who owns baseball, my phony little stack which means that the times that he pitched more often than not, he had, he had the best performance that he dominated better than anyone else in the game for that day. To me, that shows, I mean, I know that my goofy metric isn't really scientific, but when day in and day out, you are producing in a way that stands out, um, I think that shows a, a little bit of how he just dominates. Like every time he pitched, it'd be like seven, eight innings and twelve strikeouts. You know, and that it just it, it, that would be a typical game for him. I know it, it's not, but it just seemed that way. And I mean, how many times I'm going to BaseballReference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth, and this year he had. Nine games where he had double-digit strikeouts. Nine. And you go down to, there's 13 games where he struck out at least nine batters. Think about that. There's 13 times 
he struck out nine or more batters in a game this season. I mean, that's just tremendous. And, and, and he would do so with great control as well. And it was just, and he did it with so much fun. It was fun watching him pitch. And in fact, I remember there was one year, I think it was when he was coming back from surgery, I just said, why don't the Marlins just schedule him for every home Friday? Because every home Friday is the Fernandez day. You know, if you're watching his innings and everything like that, they're just going, we'll schedule it out. We know where it's going to be. Come, and that way you can sell tickets. It's Friday in Miami. Let's go see Jose Fernandez pick. I certainly would. So I still, it's still three. It's one of my favorite, absolutely one of my favorite players uh, in baseball. And I wonder if he's going to posthumously win the Cy Young. I mean, when you think about, uh, you know, Kershaw missed a ton of time. Uh, Cueto slowed down a little bit. I mean, it would probably be between, I mean, John Lester or Max Scherzer or Jose Fernandez. And I wonder if the the fact that we lost him and he would be the first posthumous Cy Young Award winner. I, if he had won, if he wins it, I don't know how anyone could object and say, oh, that's terrible. I right. mean, he had a spectacular season. And by many metrics, Certainly, certainly top three. What he was able to do on the diamond was almost next to none in a sense, considering his youth. And you keep mentioning the word fun. And I know at the beginning of this season, the make baseball fun again slogan started getting thrown around, going along with Donald Trump making America great again. And from what we've actually seen, from what we've heard following his passing, there's no question that he was living proof of that. And we've seen some younger players do it, start bringing that back to the game a little bit, going against the quote-unquote unwritten rules of baseball by celebrating too much or enjoying themselves too much. But no one really did it like he did. And not only does this tragedy cut his career short, but I think it's a tragedy as well for what it did to the game of baseball because it seemed like he had such a positive impact on the game. How big do you think a blow this is, not just for his career for the Marlins, but just for the game of baseball as a whole as well? I mean, I'm sad because we won't, A, we won't see another Fernandez game again. And as I said on the show, we'll never have the Jose Fernandez game, which is the moment either in a postseason or a big spot where he gets a complete game shut out in the postseason or right. something like that. There's a way that, you know, if I point to Randy Johnson or if I point to Madison Bumgarner or if I point to Josh Beckett, you know, the some of these players who had big postseason moments, there's specific games I can point to like, oh yeah, that, yeah. Fernandez hasn't had that game yet. You know, hasn't had his, you know, Tim Lincecum clinching the World Series with his eight, you know, great innings or that, you know, that moment of domination where everyone goes, whoa, this guy is just locked in. And, uh, you know, Tommy Glavin had that in the World Series against the Indians. And that, that signature moment, you know, the Jack Morris and for the Twins, there's those pitchers who get that signature moment and, we never got that with him, and he was more than capable of doing that. And that's just as a base, as someone who loves baseball history and has great reverence for baseball history, that's something that, you know, just sad that we won't get to experience, but we also just won't get to experience any more of these wonderful games he pitched. It's just the joy and the, the fact that you had a player who just 
seem to get it, seem to get what it's supposed to be. I've always hated the whole don't celebrate. Don't give me that crap. I don't celebrate. Right. Act like you've been there before. Well, what if you haven't? You know, I mean, that, look at, I, okay, I, I understand if you, you know, if it's a April game between the Padres and the Brewers, you're losing 8 nothing in the fourth, and you had a home run to make it 8-1. Yeah, I understand that maybe you don't moonwalk around the base right. at that point. But, yeah, if you hit a big home run or you get a big strikeout, celebrate. Why make it dour? And he got it. He, he got it big time. And, and man, I'm going to miss that. You know, it's still, this is one of these things that it will occur to us, not now, but like next year when we're looking at, okay, the Marlins are going to do, oh, right, they don't have an ace. You know, it's like, as a fan, I feel like we're denied that. Obviously, I never knew the man, so that element of it doesn't really affect me. But you take away, you know, years of fun and then, yeah, I'm going to miss that. And you have mentioned already the Wob Awards that you give out on your daily podcast, and I noticed that, yeah. to no surprise, D. Gordon was the recipient of one of them for what he was yeah. able to do in their first game back against the Mets, hitting that first inning home run, his first of the year, probably the farthest home run he's hit in his career. For the magnitude of that moment, it almost brought me back and reminded me to when Bobby Mercer had that huge game of the day, Thurman Munson yeah. had his funeral oh, after oh. his passing. Yeah. Is that right? Is that moment uh. right up there? for what D Gordon yeah. was able to do with being one of the best moments that we've seen this season so far. Yeah. And that's a great example. That is a really good example. It's one of those things. Look at, we have confirmation bias about things like that, that when something tragic happens and then someone does something, you know, comes back and there's a great moment. You know, we, there've been many times where the first came back after a tragedy is a blowout loss or someone grounds the third. But when you have something like, Mercer, who was eulogizing Thurman Munson earlier that game, was Munson's best friend, and hits the walk-off home run on national television that night. Uh, I mean, that's just that's just surreal when something like that happens. Or like the coming back after 9/11, the first game back, and of course it's Piazza who hits the home run. And I was living in New York then, and there was just this palpable sense of Relief is there even for a moment we're allowed to be happy again. And, you know, if that game had ended, uh, you know, with the Braves winning like 4 nothing, there still would have been a sense of, okay, we're back to playing baseball and everything. But, you know, the fact that Piazza hit that home run is just surreal how, how remarkable it was. Um, and the Yankees getting all those hits, big hits and home runs in the wake of 9-11. Right. Uh, and, of course, you know, the, the D. Gordon, you know, coming up and, and, and clobbering that home run off of Bartolo Colon. Uh, yeah, it's a moment that is, if you put that in a movie, no one, you, people would laugh at it. Go, Come on. But it's, it's, what makes, it's what makes sports so wonderful is that it is unscripted and that every once in a while there will be a moment, whether it's that, whether it's Kurt Gibson's home run, whether it's, you know, the bloody sock game, whatever it is, there's something that just seems so remarkably dramatic that it it boggles the mind that when it does happen, you think this is why we watch sports. It's for moments like this. They're moments that can't be scripted, moments that can't be fake, and moments that 
bring out all the positive, you know, every positive emotion and everything you could, you know, that it could mean to you. There's just something about baseball that always seems to give us those types of moments when we need them the most. And it happened again when Vin Scully was announcing and broadcasting the last game of his 67-year career. The Dodgers tie the game in the ninth. They win with a walk-off home run in the 10th to win the pennant and pretty much send Vin Scully off, as you mentioned, in the best way you could possibly dream of it happening. It's equal to the Derek Jeter game-winning hit when he was hanging it up his last season. The list goes on and on for just the moments that baseball is able to bring. I know now you're living in California, so you might have had the opportunity to maybe listen to some of his games. Has he been yeah. someone that you've you've checked out, listened to some Dodgers games, or have just heard him in general? What do you think of him as a broadcaster and what he's meant to the game? Um, yeah, I mean, I talked about him on the sh- my show a little bit. I mean, I, I think that there was – you couldn't have stuck the landing of him in Dodger Stadium better than that. That you know the the game tying home run and the walk off home run just just turning the turning Dodger Stadium absolutely into a frenzy. Um, it it was really it really was a remarkable moment. Uh, I I it's funny I didn't grow up with Vince Scully, so I don't have some of the warm feelings that some people have because my earliest real memories of Vince Scully. As a Red Sox fan, was him being the announcer of Game Six of the 1986 World Series. So right. he narrated he narrated the darkest night of my baseball life. Right. So like, yeah, I, I didn't have you know it, it wasn't. I heard his voice and I would hear it was the equivalent of hearing red rum, red rum. Yeah, I was going to say I'm glad you didn't subconsciously hate him too much because he was the voice behind um, that Yeah, I mean, I I probably poo-pooed a lot of the praise of him for a long time because of what I associated him with without even thinking. It's not his fault, but um, he is obviously, you know, his longevity um, makes him a, a unique figure in baseball. One thing that I brought up and I'll bring up here is that Vin, amongst everything else, was a connection to Brooklyn. That he was an announcer of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And so there was a sense that as long as Vin Scully is announcing, part of the Brooklyn Dodgers were still there. There still was a connection to Jackie, to Ebbets Field, to Pee Wee Ridge, to Duke Snyder, to Campanella and Don Newcomb and all the great figures of those great Dodger teams. Right. Uh, and, and of course, every single great star that has come to L.A. was announced by then. And when you think about there have been players who socially, not just in terms of the play on the field, but what they meant to certain ethnic, religious, and, and racial groups, whether it's Jackie Robinson with African Americans or Sandy Koufax with Jewish Americans or Fernando Valenzuela with the Mexican Americans or Hideo Nomo with the Japanese Americans and and also uh, Chano Park. That uh, there was he narrated all of them. He was the voice of all of their games and all of their careers. And I think that for so many groups that who came to the Dodgers where my guys on the Dodgers, and they listen to every game, 
maybe not the Spanish workers, but you understand that, like, for these players who meant more than just being a ball player, the person narrating their games was Vin. Right. So I think that he brought, there's a lot of emotion that he brought to many people who loved the game and who were uplifted by the game beyond just the, the play on the field. And that, you know, there's such heartbreak came about from losing uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers that there was still a little, like a tiny little sliver still existed. Um, and I, now that that's gone, there's a thing about baseball that it has an illusion of timeless. And when you think of what the timeless really means, it means that the past, present, and future are all happening simultaneously. That you are connected to the past, you're watching what's happening in the present, you're thinking about how it leads to the future. And baseball's illusion, whether or not it's true or not, its illusion is that it's all happening at once. And when you have that's why people get upset when you change the uniform. That's why people right. didn't like the, the circular donut stadiums. They wanted stadiums that looked old fashioned y and everything like that. And so, like, when you go to a Dodger game, they're still wearing the same uniforms. The stadium still looks the same as when Sandy Koufax pitched there. There's almost like you're, you're stuck in time with Vin talking at the same time. And whether it's, you know, whether it's Sandy Koufax and Don Treadville or it's Corey Seager and Jack Peterson, it's the same narrator. And now that it won't be, and which is, this is not a slight on Rick Monday or Charlie Steiner, who are the other you know, very, very good announcers that the LA Dodgers have. Uh, it is going to be, it's going to be sad moving forward that, uh, it, that, that will be gone. I should at least ask you if you have any playoff picture, since we are getting into October baseball and we already know some teams who are going to be playing in the postseason. Yeah. Do you have any early inclinations on who we might see make it to the championship series or make it as far as the World Series? I think the American League is a complete toss-up. Absolute toss-up. I have no... I think that any team, including potentially Detroit and Seattle, if they get in you know, via the wild card, I don't think there's a standout team. I think there's a tremendous amount of... Like, the Red Sox went on a great winning streak recently. Um... And and we all they're going to certainly clinch the American League East, um, and they've been hot. But it just takes one bad week to eliminate that season. Um, I, you know the Indians have had horrible injuries, but they can get hot for a week. I mean, yeah, and the same with any other wild. I mean, you, no one can look me in the eye and say that Toronto couldn't get super hot for two weeks. Uh, if I were to pick an American, if I had to pick an American League team, you're pulling me at gunpoint. I would say Texas would win the American League. Uh, the National League, I think, is the Cubs are clearly the team to beat. But I've seen many teams to beat that fall short. I mean, a few years ago, the Philadelphia Phillies were so unstoppable that the idea of them not winning the World Series was just incomprehensible, and they lost to St. Louis in the division series. Um, I think that any, I mean, I think Washington, man, Washington's had a ton of injuries recently, and it, and and um, and I think LA has a very good chance, but I think the World Series is going to be the Cubs and the Rangers, and uh, I think the Rangers will upset them. 
Can you just give my listeners the quick rundown on how they can get your show daily, where they might find you on Twitter, and how they can get the show as well? Um, well, I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter. That's all one word, Sully Baseball. Um, you can just type SullyBaseball.com, and I always have the, the up-to-date of my podcast under there. Type in Sully Baseball on Facebook or on iTunes. The name of the podcast is Sully Baseball Daily, so subscribe on iTunes. And uh, if you like, if you dig the show, if you want to jump in the river, Sully, and just be there and, and know that know that if you need a baseball fix, I'll be there every single day uh, because I need it too. And always feel free. Every Sunday, I take requests for a topic because I got a little 365 of these, so I figured I asked for help for 52 of them. Right. And if any topic you want me to cover, uh, or any or anything I've said that that you really disagree with or picks you off or whatever, by all means, just tell me. I mean, I love it. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I do this to entertain people. So just, you know, dig the show. And uh, and if you think I talk too much about the Red Sox or Giants, then shoot me a tweet and say, hey, talk about this. And, and trust me, I'll get to it. And if there is a disagreement, you have 365 days to figure it out. So plenty of time to get down to the bottom of whatever topic it may be. Sully, I have to thank you for coming on to the show. It's been a pleasure talking baseball with you, getting to learn a little bit more about what you're up to, about your show, and dealing in some of the more unfortunate things to happen in the baseball world, but some of the positives as well. If you can fit me in maybe down the road, I'd love to talk some more baseball with you, depending on when that may be. Maybe we can fill that void in January or February when everybody's just getting that itch for the ball game. But I hope people check out what you're up to and enjoy what you put out every day. And we'll keep listening as we get closer and closer to another great year of playoff baseball. All right, man. Well, hey, this is a lot of fun. And don't be shy, anyone. Just give me a tweet and chances are all right back. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can listen to The Bridge live every Wednesday night on Sports Radio America from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you missed the live show, you can find the podcast version on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast or by searching for John Lund under Artists. You can also interact with the show anytime by calling or texting 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. On the next installment of The Bridge, we'll take a look at the MLB postseason picture and some of the teams that will be lucky enough to play in October. We'll take a look around the National Football League and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. 